Hello, I'm Marianne Shuck, the host of Let's Talk Hope, a podcast devoted to sharing the inspirational stories of organ and tissue donor recipients, donor families, and subject matter experts. Not a lot is known about directed donation or paired exchange donations. And so we have someone today, John Babbitt, who's going to tell us about his experience with paired exchanges and how do we help um, folks understand more as we talk about myths and misconceptions around organ and tissue donation, particularly as it's related to the multicultural community when we have lots of people ask us, well, can I donate my organs to somebody of color? Because of the big myth around if someone knows I'm an organ donor, they won't save me and they'll just let my organs go to someone white. So today, John Babbitt, Thank you and welcome to Let's Talk Hope. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about your story and um, also about your disease, which a lot of people don't know about, and uh, your organ and tissue donation journey. Yes. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm a kidney recipient. I'm a two-time cancer survivor. As far as the kidney, I was diagnosed with renal cell carcinoma, and that was, oh, that was like in 2008. And so I had a long journey as far as going through different uh, processes of getting tested and everything. That took a little while because I was on dialysis um, for a while. I had to make sure that I was cleared because I had cancer in both kidneys. So both kidneys had to be removed. That's, that's the protocol that uh, had to take place in order for me to receive a kidney. At the time, in 2013, that's when I started dialysis. And... Um, my wife decided to do a kidney drive for me. I was getting excited, but I kept getting rejected saying no. And I was like, okay, well, as you know, dialysis is pretty, pretty tough. And I kept a good attitude. I think that's one of the things that a lot of my doctors even told me is that my attitude going into it was, was good because that's just the type of person that I am, just trying to stay upbeat and stay positive. My relationship with God always was front and foremost. Uh, and that's really what carried me through this process. As we went along the process of trying to see if I was going to be a good candidate, um, she continued to do the kidney drive for me. And can you just tell us what a kidney drive is and what it entailed? Yes. Um, what she did was she just made a flyer, a really nice flyer, uh, and she just started passing it out to see if anyone would be uh, willing to be a donor um, for me or if they knew anyone, you know, just to get the word out. So this was like our first time doing it because we did it ourselves. We didn't have any help, but we were just, just guided by, you know, just top of the knowledge because she was in healthcare. So uh, as she started passing things out, there was a young lady at my church. Her name was Joyce Doty. She actually called my wife and she asked her, hey, I'd like to be John's donor. I want to save his life. And that right there just took me over because we we Christians and it was something that we prayed for for over three years. And now I'm seeing everything coming into play, how things is unfolding. And I was like, wow, I said, God is answering our prayer. I had no kidneys for three and a half years. As we went on, we found out that Joyce and myself, our blood was fighting each other. So Wisconsin actually, and this is where I had my transplant, Wisconsin actually called Joyce and asked Joyce if she'd be willing to give her kidney to someone else. 
And she agreed. She said, whatever it takes to save John's life. And things were just going through my mind. I was like, wow, who does this? I said, this is all God. And can we talk about that for a second? Can we just talk about the fact that you and your wife, uh, your wife particularly, wanted to do a kidney drive? That is not, and particularly looking for a living donor, potentially. Um, That's not something that folks in the African-American community do. Lots of times we hear that, well, I don't want to ask my family. I don't want to ask my friends. It will be too much. How did you get to the decision to put it out there? Say, let's let's try this. Let's see what happens. Just just a, a leap of faith. We didn't know what to do or where to start. We just said, let's just do it and let's see where it goes. And then from that point on, it's like I, I had some people, some of my friends, went to go get tested. But then that's when we found out that they had health issues like diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, and things like that. So that disqualified them from being a donor. That's something that we always hear that, you know, in the minority communities, uh, we have a lot of health challenges that prevent us from being able to help out. And then the second issue, as I mentioned earlier, we're hesitant to ask, right? Because, you know, we may know some things, we may not know some things because we don't really know our health history. And so in order to understand our health medical history and being able to support people, I think that's an important aspect that people of color really need to understand. And not just because maybe potentially someone might need a kidney, but just for ourselves, for our immediate families, for our children, is very important. Uh, you mentioned that you all's um, blood types were not a match. It's very important to understand that the old blood type is a universal type. We can give to everyone. I happen to be an old type. We can give to everyone, but everyone can't give blood to us, right? So therefore, and I actually, it's interesting, my twin and I are old, but our younger siblings are A's because of our father and our mother, the twin and I take after. So, you know, even within your own family, you should know what your blood type is in order to be able to, if you had to give blood to some, you know, to support someone. It's just very interesting as you bring up these little things that people may not know. So, you know, thank you for that. Yes, I knew my blood type because I'm a veteran. So when she came to my wife and mentioned that, it's, it's like, okay, we can do it. But we noticed that the doctors, as they were doing a testing, that our blood was fighting each other. And I know since going through this, I've learned so much. Since I've joined the Gift of Hope, this is my assignment. I feel like this is my assignment to do, to reach out. Since I have a platform here with the Gift of Hope, is to get to my community and be able to get the information out because there's a lot of people in our community don't know about organ donation or tissue donation, you know. So I'm using this uh, to get the word out to educate as many people as I can. Uh, it doesn't matter if you white or black or, or a different ethnic group, a kidney or organ is an organ. So to squash that myth, an organ is an organ. It doesn't matter if it's coming from uh, white, black, Puerto Rican, Mexican, Spanish. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, because actually my actual donor, her name was uh, Bridget. So, and from that point, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but because Joyce couldn't give to me, they asked Joyce to give to someone else. 
and it became a pair kidney exchange. So it became six of us. And um, my actual donor, her name was uh, Bridget. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to meet her right away because uh, as you know, things are kind of kept quiet uh, about that. So um, it was, I was just so elated. I was like, oh my goodness, this is actually gonna happen. And tell us about that. So in a paired exchange, paired kidney exchange, uh, it involves three matching donors and three recipients, and yours happened to be in the two states. What was that like? Did you have to go to Wisconsin? Were all your donors concentrated uh, with the donors and the recipients concentrated in Wisconsin? Because a lot of people don't know a lot about paired exchanges. Can you just give us a little background on that? Kidney paired exchanges is, is a process that they have that will match you up with the best organ or the best person that will be so that you'll be successful. I could have taken on Joyce's organ, but it probably would have left me on more medication as far as more Suprena uh, medications. Now, did you and Joyce have the same blood type? Joyce was an O positive and I was B positive. But I, again, like I said, our blood was fighting each other. So when Wisconsin, the doctors at Wisconsin called Joyce, and asked her, she immediately agreed. And again, during that time, I guess I was so emotional because I was just elated that she'll be willing to, because I know most people, they probably say, no, I'm not giving my kidney to no one else or my organ to no, to anyone else. I'll just give it to this person who I want to give it to. Uh, but she agreed. And uh, so that was truly, truly a blessing for me. Because now actually, as of this month, February 11th, would be my eighth year kidney anniversary. God is good. All the time, all the time. <laughs> and so like I'm celebrating my birthday is on the 25th of February. Two birthdays. Yes, yes. <laughs> After having our transplant, I didn't know who my donor, my actual donor was. I just wanted to thank her. I was like, I called my coordinator. It was like, I want to just thank her because she was going to give to her father but she wasn't a match for her father, but she was a perfect match for me. So just to get the word out to everyone that's out there listening, uh, it doesn't matter. You, you could be a, a, a brother and a sister, but you might not be a match for each other, but at least go get tested. Be proactive, go get tested. You have two kidneys, you can give one away and still live. And then the other process is uh, getting a deceased donor I was blessed on that because I didn't have to receive a deceased donor. I got a living donor. And later to find out that my donor from Bridget was a younger kidney and it was a stronger kidney. So I was like, wow, they said, John, your kidney is very strong. And I was like, wow. After all this has been done, it's like I came home. I said, you know, because someone helped me, helped me to get a second chance at life. I want to go and help someone else. And so what was it like when you woke up and realized that you had the new kidney, that the paired exchange worked? What was your thought process? You know, you're getting ready to go into it a little bit about, you know, what happened after you got home. But what was it like in that moment that you woke up and realized, oh, my God, this worked? I think when I woke up, if I remember correctly, I, it was like tears just running off because I, I, I saw my wife there. 
there's tears running on my eyes. I said, it's done the same night. I said, I want to take my victory walk. And they were like, you ready, you, you ready to walk? I said, I'm ready to take my victory walk. And I walked all the way around on that floor. And I, I was just so elated. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a motivator. You know, I like, I like to, I like to motivate people. I guess that comes from uh, my background and, and being in the military for so many years. Uh, I'm just a motivator. And uh, so I'm just motivating myself for those three and a half years uh, being on dialysis because they took my kidneys. I could not urinate. When I went to the bathroom to urinate, I stood there and I had a big old smile like I have now. And I was like, oh my goodness. You know, some people take things for granted. I had a brother that had sarcoidosis. He was telling me, he said, man, people take this for granted just being able to breathe. But I have to think to breathe. And I'm like, wow, how is that like? And I felt the same way. I felt the same way. It's like, and telling some of my family and friends, it's like I had, when, when I went to the restroom, it was like, wow, I'm just smiling. I said, it's, it's happening. So everything, it was just like, everything was just, just full circle for me. Immediately, you know, I said, you know what, because cause someone helped me and it was a, a huge sacrifice for Joyce to want to give her kidney. She's not a family member, but because I know God touched her heart. God touched her heart. She could have easily changed her mind, but because God touched her heart, and I hope she'll be listening. Yeah, I just want to say, Joyce, thank you. This thank you because I wouldn't be here giving this testimony. Just two days ago, I just actually gave a uh, something for the gift of hope to some, was it college students? Or they were studying uh, for health fairs. And to find out that the teacher, her dad, name was John. He had renal cell carcinoma. And his birthday was, I think, February 11th. It actually touched her. And it was just amazing. I was I just like, wow. And, you know, of course, his situation didn't go as well as mine. He passed away. But it was just the fact that these dates and the name, you know, it all just came together. That's one of the things you're you're known for. One of the things that people talk about you is just your faith and how your faith carried you through this. How did you evolve really after one, you found out you had cancer? Because a lot of people sort of spiral downwards and, you know, say, why me? And, you know, you mentioned that you had such a positive attitude when you found out. And, you know, how has your faith evolved to allow you to continue to be through everything you've been through? The loss of your kidneys, being on dialysis for three years, and then having someone altruistically say, I'm going to give you a kidney and then find out, you know, for whatever reason, you weren't compatible, but say, I'll be a part of this. How has your faith kept you uh, through all of this? That's easy. It's just staying in the word, staying in the word of God. The word definitely helped me as I, as I researched different healing scriptures. That let me know. I said, this is God speaking to me. I was reading a scripture in Isaiah where it says, uh, by his stripes, we are healed. And I said, I said, okay, he's speaking to me. So I took that literally to apply it for myself as I continue to grow and get stronger and stronger and stronger, stronger. 
it, it it's it's like okay. And I I uh, can think back when I used to go to dialysis. A lot of the nurses and the dialysis tech, they were like, John, you come in and you be smiling every day. One of the nurses she said, John, you know because you smiling so much, you encouraging other people. I said, well, I didn't know I was had that kind of effect on people like that. And I believe having that positive attitude, it can catch on to other people, especially as they're going through. And I always tell them, don't give up hope. Never, never, ever give up hope. Because hope is a guaranteed assurance. If you give up that hope or that guaranteed assurance, most people do take that spiral down. But you got, you got to fight. And I tell anyone, you have to fight. It's not over. Things will turn around in your favor. So that's why I partner with the gift of hope so that I can reach others. I can show them and people will say, John, you don't look like you've been through anything. And I say, well, I'm glad I don't look like what I've been through. It was, it was definitely kind of rough. And I, I went through that as well saying, oh, why me? But I say, when you down to nothing, God is up to something. And that's the attitude that I took. I said, okay, it's something that God is trying to show and do in this process. Since that, it actually just made me even stronger. There's nothing that God cannot do. Absolutely. And thank you for that. Because and even on this side, being on the donor family side, you know, I lost my husband almost five years ago. And uh, I remember people asking me, why aren't you angry? Why aren't you angry at God that God took ready? And I, it was for me because my faith is so strong. I didn't feel like God took Reggie. I felt like Reggie was lent to me. He was lent to me for the length of our marriage. And so um, it was our, our, our time was up. His time was up. But, you know, God didn't do anything to me. So I couldn't be um, angry. I'm profoundly sad. Don't get me wrong. I will be profoundly sad for the rest of my life that my husband is no longer here with me. But I know that God said it wasn't your time. So you got to keep going. You know, I had to be here for my daughter. But a lot of people really go down that spiral and they think that um, God has done something to them, that God took their person and God is putting them through changes and challenges, but they never quite, and I won't say never because that's a broad generalization, but some people don't see the goodness on the other side. What is faith? And a lot of people don't talk about faith today. That's what was just very interesting. I wanted you to share your story uh, with people uh, on the podcast is that Faith is something that is very individual, and it is something that people have to take up on their personal account um, because I can't make my faith and project it onto somebody else. I can tell you the goodness of my story, but I can't project my faith onto you. Just tell us, how have you continued to use your faith in your journey afterwards? Are you utilizing it at church? Are you utilizing, do you have a mission? Do you feel like this is something that you need to share? How has faith been ensconcing your journey right now? First of all, my foundation was strong to begin with. And that's where you have to have a strong foundation. If you don't have a strong, it's like building a house. 
if you don't have that strong foundation, uh, you try to build on something weak, when that adversity comes, you will be shaken. Uh, you don't have no stability there to stand. But I will say that my foundation was strong. So as I went through my test, it was time that I say, okay, it's, it's, it's something that I have to go through. I didn't understand it at the time because I was kind of shook in myself, but then I had to see what was going on. So currently to speak to your question, I do use my faith in church. I'm an intercessor at one of at my church at New Life Covenant, you know, Pastor John Hanna is my pastor. Uh, I'm one of the intercessors there. And uh, so I get a chance to pray and intercede for others. Again, that's where my that's what my mission is, is to intercede and stand in the gap for others. And it's interesting. I, I, I think I read a statistic uh, that while millions of people are waiting for organ, eye and tissue donation and that all major religions, you know, support uh, the idea of saving someone's life. Um, that most people find a match if they're doing a living donation through church. Yes, uh, because the church is your community. Your church is your community. So you can start there at your church. If you don't open up your mouth, you won't get nothing done. There's someone that will say, you know what? I can do this. You won't know until you actually be proactive and do it. We never would have said anything, Joyce probably wouldn't have never came forth. So I'll say definitely be proactive, say something, get the word out. It's interesting when I, uh, very early on in my career as a community outreach specialist, I went out to a lot of churches, small, super small, medium, big, large. And one of the questions I would always ask is, um, one, I would ask people, to stand up if they've been impacted by organ and tissue donation, either through being a donor family, being a recipient or somebody waiting. Lots of people would stand. Then I would ask people to stand if they knew someone who currently had heart, uh, hypertension, diabetes, cholesterol, chronic illness, more people would stand up. Then, and I'd still have people standing. And then I would say, if you could save a life, today, would you? And I only had a small handful of people that would sit down. And the majority of the people would say, yes, I would save a life if I could. And so to your point, I think congregations and fellowship is so important. But in America today, we have a lot of folks who have walked away from their faith, who walked away from their congregations, um, especially post-COVID. You know, statistics show that a lot of people have not gone back to church. They, they're doing something non-traditional. And so what are some ways in which we can help get the word out in more churches uh, to help folks understand the importance of just congregation fellowship, but also life-saving methods um, that could help save someone's life, either through bone marrow transplant, uh, bone marrow donation, uh, living kidney donation, or even deceased donation, because we can do directed donation where if, say, you know, if I would have known someone uh, who needed tissue or an organ when my husband died, 
I could have said, okay, yes, I'd like this to go there or, you know, something like that. That's what directed donation is. And it's something that a lot of people of color don't understand, even though they ask that question, can my, you know, they'll ask you, can my organs go to somebody black or things like that because of the myths and misconceptions. So what are some things that you're doing to get those messages? Have you used your platform for churches or are you using it for just generalization? Actually, it's um, within your church. You may have you may you may go to a mega church or a small church or whatever, but you could have a church within a church that have like a small like a actually minister to a men's group. So, and that's 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 another avenue that I use too because as men, men go through prostate cancer or different things like that. Uh, just a few weeks ago, you had Dr. Martin Luther King's son pass away from prostate cancer. That's another avenue that I experienced that I want to educate. So in a church setting, you have you have small groups. Uh, you may have a tribe uh, that you can, if you have the knowledge and that you can pass on to them, that's another avenue. That's another avenue that you can get the word out because sometimes people don't, they don't say nothing. So using that, if, if you know, you don't have to be a subject matter expert, but just being able to be proactive to just go out there and you say, well, I may not know everything, but I will send you to somebody who does. And then that way it gets the ball rolling. Going to health fairs, get educated, going to health fairs. Some churches have health fairs or maybe health fairs in your community, you know, places where you live. Um, I know Gift of Hope have a lot of health fairs, different activities, you know, where we try to uh, inform a lot of people. We have brochures, uh, things like that. We have them scan uh, the QR code, you know, to make sure that they're organ donor, you know, on their license, so they be registered organ donors, you know. Uh, I get a lot of questions like that. Uh, but they have to they have to know squash all those myths because most of the time it's what is us in the african-american community that needs some of those organs like high blood pressure diabetes and of course you know cancer or whatever the situation is uh, we have to learn how to change our eating habits uh, sometimes it can be uh, going down through your your dna so if you're not aware, you know, you will never know. So just learning, being able to learn how to uh, know someone in your family has high blood pressure or someone else in your family has kidney, uh, uh, has cancer. Tell your kids, go get screened. Or, and this is something that I found out uh, in my journey is that going to a genetics doctor at University of Chicago is... The same genes for a man's prostate is the same gene for a woman's breast. So in your family, you may have a woman that has breast cancer. So go get your mammograms. Go go get your mammograms. If you know it's your father or your brother or someone like that. And I always say, just be, be proactive. Say something. Say something. You know, so to answer your question there, it's it's a lot of ways, but it's up to the individual. If they really, really, because it, it is a sacrifice um, and you have to just just go ahead and, and do it because you will be, I would say, a hero 
Joyce and Bridget are my heroes. They're my angels. I'm forever grateful, forever, ever grateful. It has humbled me tremendously, you know, and that's why I like to get my word out and just share with other people. You know, it can be done. It can be done. Absolutely. And it's to your point earlier, it's not going away. Right. We have somebody added to the list every 10 minutes. We have over a little over 100,000 people waiting for a life saving organ uh, to save or enhance their lives. And so one of the things that we do at Gift of Hope, which is so important, as you mentioned, is to really start the conversation today with your family. Um, what was that conversation like with you and your wife and your children? As you mentioned, you know, screenings and past medical history, you know, because if you have this, what is the potential for maybe one of your children to have this? And how do we help our children lead a healthier life than we lead? How do we give them the information to know, to your point, to be proactive about our screenings? Get them all together. Get a family. Get a family group. Get a family setting. Uh, phone call. Zoom. Is there? There's. There's different ways you can get that message out. If they know. They, if someone lives in out of state or whatever, we can do things by Zoom. Technology is 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 definitely is booming now. Is there's different ways we can get the word out? Like just like we're doing here. Tell them. Okay, I've been diagnosed with this. So, as for ladies, instead of waiting till you're 50, I would say. Do it at 40. Go to your doctor. Let your doctor know that you have a family history of breast cancer or whatever kind of issue that you have or that your family may have. And because see, that's how I was proactive in finding out about prostate cancer. So it's, it's always a way, but we have to think smart. We have to think smart. And sometimes brainstorming just by talking to different people that may have gone through it can help. We have we have to get the ball rolling, and just by talking to other people, it gets to say, okay, talk to your doctors, talk to talk to those specialists, you know, be open with them, be honest with them, tell them what 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 are my options, you know, if you don't like that option, you have a chance to go get a second opinion, you know, get the answers that you want, and I, I understand in some of our locations and our communities, as far as healthcare. My wife is in healthcare. I've noticed it's some of some of the healthcare is not up to par in our community. It's it's not it's not up to par, and and so that's another reason. Or it might have lack of funding. They don't have the insurance. So the, the, these are disadvantages in our community that they face, and some of the reasons why some of them don't get tested or go to the doctor because they don't have the resources, or the resources not available to them. That's interesting that you mentioned that because, yes, all those things are true. Uh, health disparity, lack of access, we get there too late. And one of the interesting things is I, I want to talk a little bit about men is because my brother is waiting uh, for a kidney right now. I am going to be his living donor uh, when he gets everything together. However, he waited a long time to go to the doctor and he had undiagnosed hypertension, which led to his kidney disease. And we have a lot of men. And I want to know, what would you say to men who um, don't uh, believe in the doctor, who 
you know, are not going to get these necessary screenings. You know, we've seen, as you mentioned, uh, Bernard King, Chadwick Boseman, we've seen high profile people. What are some things we can say in the community to help men understand most of these things are preventable with the right diet, with the right screenings, and with the right uh, uh, care from your doctors. I remember the one thing my my husband always said to me was that men who survive are married. Men who survive are married because they have wives who nag them, make them go to the doctor. Um, one question I didn't ask you, besides the question about men, is how did you know you had cancer? What were some of the symptoms uh, that led you to go to the doctor to find out that you had this renal cell carcinoma? That's a very interesting question there. I, I got that question a lot. Um, how I found out was um, I got injured on my job. I was At the time, I was working for Illinois Department of Transportation. I got injured on the job. And uh, some of the medication that they gave me uh, was like for pain. It was a pain medication. And after five days of taking that medication, I started urinating blood. So that was a big red flag. I didn't know it at the time. But when that happened, I immediately called my doctor because that was one year after I found out about my prostate. So I thought it was my prostate. I was just bleeding because of my prostate. And once I got checked out, he said, no, your prostate good, your bladder is good. Let's take a uh, MRI or CAT scan of your kidneys. And that's how we found out. And again, with me being proactive, that's, that's how they found out. If that never happened, I probably would not be here today. That was really a blessing uh, in disguise just by that happening. Mm-hmm. And thanks for sharing that, because a lot of people is so funny when you work in healthcare. you know, people think that you're not squeamish or you can talk about anything. I can pretty much look at anything and talk about anything. And so um, I think that's the other thing that people don't share, that this symptom, hap- this symptom happened and I went to the doctor because I didn't understand what that symptom meant. Right. It's having those overt conversations, I think for men and and women too, but women are generally a little bit more proactive about their health care than men, but really having that ministry that you have for men, but also having these types of conversations that help them understand, you know, you got to be proactive. You got to talk about it. And I think that's the one thing we strive at Gift of Hope is have the conversation. Talk about uh, what your decision is. Do you want to be an organ donor? Even if you don't want to be one, let's talk about why not. Let's try to find you the truth about why it's important. Because the more people that are registered, thank God for you and Bridget, and I don't know um, the ethnicity of Bridget, uh, but thank God uh, for Bridget if she was Caucasian, right? And she she was Caucasian. She was a young, healthy donor. But most of the time for people that look like us, if we have a donor from our donor pool or our uh, genetic makeup, sometimes our organs do much better, right? We have less chance of rejection. And so that's why it's important to talk about all those things. But, you know, I'm famously quoted for saying, 
donation is donation is donation. It does not matter. So let's just get it done and get these people off of the waiting list because, you know, now you're here. You've enjoyed so many things since your transplant, right? That you might not have been able to enjoy. Yes, I have. I'm a brand new person. I'm a brand new person. And it's like the things that I was deprived of because I was stuck on dialysis or I was always sick or in the hospital. Now I'm able to just watch what I do, watch what I eat. And I try to get my exercise in, uh, watch what I eat and drink plenty of water. Um, these are these are things that I know I can do for myself. These are the things I know I can do for myself. When I go to the, my different doctors, even now, it's a couple of my doctors tell me, John, you're you're my poster child. <laughs> you're you're my poster child because I've seen you from the start and I see where you are now. And so I always use you. And I even have some of my doctors call me personally and ask me to reach out to someone else. You know, and I say, I don't mind. Again, being able to talk to someone else just to get the conversation going so that they can think about what the next step is or what the next step could be. You don't want to be going misinformed and then something happens to you where it could have been something that you could have did done about it. And so, John, my last question, uh, what would you say to our listening audience uh, about your journey and about uh, what's next? Wow. What's next in my journey? Continue doing what I'm doing. Um, I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing. Uh, the Gift of Hope is a, is a great uh, organization uh, that's, you know, just getting the word out. And uh, I am, I'm like more than thrilled uh, to work alongside with, I have uh, Cleona here uh, and some of the other uh, ambassadors uh, that's working alongside and other leaders. It's, it's just amazing. Um, I've been with the Gift of Pope now going on five years. And it's just amazing. I've learned every year I learn something new. I learn something new. And it's, it's, uh, it, has, it has helped me. It has helped me. It has broadened my, my knowledge that I can actually pass on to share to somebody else. And so that makes me a better ambassador. It makes me a better person um, to help somebody. Because everybody, everybody is it's not a cookie cutter. It's not, it's not one size fit all. Everybody is different. But if you can answer or you can help somebody get to the area where they want to be, you've done your job. If you can just help one person, you've done your job. You may not be able to save everybody, but if you can just help or save one person, you've done your job. Thank you, John. It has been a pleasure to have you here uh, today uh, to talk about uh, your journey. More importantly, to really have a conversation about directed donation, pair kidney exchange donation, living donation, and just faith, right? Faith is uh, something that is very personal. Um, on this podcast, we don't advocate one way or the other. These are just our personal experiences with faith. But uh, it's interesting that you have now become the poster child, right? For donation, especially for men of color, 
uh, who really need to have this message. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Hope, a podcast devoted to sharing organ donation stories and turning tragedies into triumphs. If you've liked what you've heard today, please listen and subscribe to Let's Talk Hope wherever you get your podcasts. We encourage you to start the conversation about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones, register, and make your wishes known. You can register to become a donor at giftofhope.org. Let's Talk Hope was produced by Ribbit 360 with special thanks to Terry Lydon, Vice President of Marketing and Sales, Jennifer O'Neill, Podcast Producer, Gift of Hope Team, Community Outreach Coordinator, Kleana Henderson, Marketing and Communications Specialist, Emily Frederick, and Staff Assistant, Margaret Siami. Rivet 360 also produces Gift of Hope's Spanish language podcast, Hablemos de la Esperanza, hosted by Luis Ortega. If you'd like to hear more great podcasts, please visit rivet360.com.